Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We're glad that you're here today, and we welcome each of you. We welcome our guests, especially today. Uh, we're glad that you're here and a part of us today, and hope that God's going to bless you in a very special way as we worship the Lord. Let me remind everyone of the attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take those and fill them out so we can have a record of your attendance with us this morning. If you could do that, we would certainly appreciate it. Um, we have uh, several things going on uh, this week I'd like to call to your attention. Uh, first of all, most of you probably know that uh, Kevin Gentry passed away this week, uh, uh, this week and, um, and that's something that's sad to all of us, of course, and he has fought uh, diligently and, and for a long time with his disease, um, but uh, his funeral will be tomorrow here at the church, and there will be a, a viewing uh, from 4 to 6, I mean, I'm sorry, from 2 to 6 tomorrow, and then the funeral service will be at 6 o'clock here at the church tomorrow evening. Um, because of that, uh, we will not be having the scheduled upperclassmen lunch that we had scheduled for tomorrow. We will not be having that. We're going to just push that off until our March meeting. So don't show up at lunch time uh, ready to eat. We won't be here. Uh, but we will have that uh, later um, uh, next month. But today, we will be meeting again this afternoon at 3 o'clock. We're going to be viewing the movie Selma. Uh, this is about uh, the march from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery, Alabama that took place uh, back during, during the civil rights uh, movement in the 60s. And uh, it's a powerful movie, movie and we'll have a, uh, just a little brief discussion afterwards. And uh, so hope you can come and be a part of that today at 3 o'clock. We'll start that at 3. And uh, that kind of uh, bumps into our usual, usual walkers. Uh, that usually walk at 3 o'clock. So the walkers will be walking immediately after the movie, okay? Uh, so you, you, can, you can have that time after the movie. And also on Wednesday, we will be having our Lenten lunch. This is the season of Lent. Uh, we had the, the first Lenten lunch on this past Wednesday at First Christian Church, and this week it will be here at Community Baptist Church. So that, that starts at noon. Uh, come by and uh, we'll have a brief worship service, about a half an hour, and then enjoy lunch together uh, at, at 12.30. Uh, let's stand and share the joy with, we, with each other as we greet each other in the name of Christ. Cool.
Let us pray together. Oh God, we have so much to be thankful for. We thank you for the sacrifice of the families in this church that have given so much so that we can reduce the debt that has been burdening us for so many years. We are making huge strides and we are grateful for that. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and for what you mean in each of our lives. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come here today to worship you, for the freedom to be among your family, meeting together in your house and in the warmth of your embrace. We thank you that in this time of worship we can put aside the uncertainties of this world and rest upon the certainties of your kingdom. For your promises are not changeable as those of a politician might be. But your promises are immovable and eternal. We thank you that we can bring to you all of our hurts and fears that we struggle with and we can leave them in your hands knowing that your strength and your assurance are all that we need. And we thank you that as we draw near to you in worship, we are transported from this world of concerns and fears to a place where we can be at peace in your presence. A place where we can find healing and wholeness and refreshment. So thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to worship. And we pray that you would fill us with your peace and your spirit. Amen.
Um, here's another thing. You know, God gave us a special gift. Now, Davis, hey, you're going to have to be quiet and listen to me if you're going to get what's in here. That's the deal. You've got to listen to get what's in the box. All right? Okay. That's our deal. Okay. Did you know that there's some similarities to being a Christian and M&M's? You know, you know what M&M's are, don't you? You know what I'm talking about? These things? Okay. What is this that's on an M&M? What's on an M&M? An M. An M is on M&M's. And you know what? How, you know how that relates to us as Christians? Like Marvin the Monkey. Like Marvin the Monkey. That's right. M's are on M&M's. Uh, we as Christians are marked as ministers. We're marked as ministers. Every time somebody joins the church, Pastor Tim says, we're all ministers and we look forward to ministering to... Sparkly blue. Yep, here comes Daddy. We know we're in trouble. Here comes Daddy. <laughs> so yes, we are marked as Christians to be ministers. That's the M, and the one way that we're similar to an M and M as a Christian. Another way is look at all these different colors that are in here. Everybody is different and totally unique. God gives us all gifts that are different for every one of us. Is there any two people in this room that look alike? No. Nope. We're all different, and God gives us gifts to share with each other. So that's the second way that we're we're different. Some people look look alike, similar, but we're not any exactly alike. And the third way that we are like M&Ms is, this is the best, what are M&Ms filled with? Chocolate. With chocolate. That's some good stuff. But what does God fill our insides with? He does fill them with organs. That's very, very true. That's a good answer, Marley. He fills us with organs. But he also fills us with God's love, too. And with blood, and yes, and all of that stuff. <laughs> so, I want you the next time that you see M&M's to remember that we are like M&M's a lot. And that we are marked by the Holy Spirit. That we are different and unique. And that we are filled with God's love. Okay? Yes, Marley. We don't get eaten like M&M's. We don't get what? Eaten like M&M's? No, we don't. And you know what? If we weren't filled with this love on the inside like these are filled with chocolate, if we weren't filled with that, we'd just be an empty shell that was tasteless. Can you imagine an M&M without chocolate on the inside? No, that wouldn't be very good, would it? So, you know, here's another thing about M&M's, that they're really good for sharing. Because remember the phrase, they don't melt in your hands, they melt in your mouth? So guess what I got in the box for you? Some M&M's, but there's a catch. There are M&M's, and because there's only three of you today, you can have three packages of M&M's, okay? Here's the deal. You get to keep one, and you give two to friends. And you can't eat them either until you get up to children's church or after church, okay? Is that the deal? Okay, there you go. There's your three. You're welcome. Little did you know that you're going to have a lesson about M&M's at church today, huh? There you go. Okay, let's pray. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these children, and we thank you for the similarities of the ways that we are like M&M, sharing your love, being unique, and being filled with your love inside. As these children grow, may we groom and garden them to uh, be even better captor, be even better uh, and more like you uh, each and every day. Thank you for these children, and may we look over them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
with me as we go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Our most precious Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly again as we should. Lord, we thank you for the sun. We also thank you for the rain. For without those two things, life on this earth is not possible. But more importantly, we thank you for your Son. For life eternal is not possible. We ask your blessings on all these tithes and offerings we give. May we give them generously and without reservation to extend your kingdom and your reach and fill your heavenly kingdom with all who care to come. In your name we pray. Amen. from the book of Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But 
turning and looking at the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord.
Years ago, on uh, Good Morning America, when rock, the rock star Madonna was really popular, <laughs> that's how long ago it was, um, Charles Gibson interviewed a um, jewelry designer who was marketing a new line of crosses designed by Madonna. The crosses were labeled the Madonna Cross. And she said that Madonna has brought a new dimension to the cross. Never has wearing a cross been more popular than today. And so Gibson challenged her by saying that he understood the cross to be a Christian symbol. And the guest replied, not anymore. It's a fashion statement. Nobody wears a cross for religious reasons anymore. Well, Gibson continued to challenge her, but she insisted that the cross was the trend of, of the day. The trend of the day. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty depressing thought, isn't it? But I have to admit that I suspect that for a lot of people today, the cross is only a decoration. And that's sad. And so with that in mind, I think maybe we should take a few moments this morning to examine the meaning of another cross, the cross of Jesus. The story begins just outside of Caesarea Philippi, which is about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus had gathered his disciples, his 12 apostles around him. And they could tell that something was wrong. They were, little, they were concerned uh, about his demeanor. And he, he started to tell them that the time was coming soon when he would have to suffer at the hands of the Jewish leaders and die. But then he would rise again after three days. Well, Peter wasn't going to take this. Peter couldn't stand what he was hearing, and he was furious about this, so he took Jesus off to the side, and he started to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus responded by saying, Get behind me, Satan. You're not considering what God has in mind. You're only looking at this from a human perspective. And Peter was stunned by this because Jesus had never talked to him like that before. But then Jesus called all the rest of the crowd to come and to join them. And he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up a cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the sake of the gospel will save it. And then Jesus seemed to look each and every one of them in the eye as he said, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Powerful words. Very powerful words. So what's he saying to them? What does it mean to deny yourself and to take up a cross? Well, let's begin by talking about what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that in times of adversity we respond with a whiny voice, 
Well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. <laughs> this may be one of the most, most abused phrases in the English language. People can't get their nails to grow right. Well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. You can't get your children to behave. Well, that's just my cross to bear. You can't get your spouse to quit snoring. Well, that's just my cross to bear. Robert Morgan tells about a woman who had a rattle in the dashboard of her new BMW, and she took it to the mechanic, and he tried and tried and tried to get it fixed, but he couldn't. And the woman replied, Oh, well, I guess just just my cross. I'll have to bear it. Folks, let's get something straight right from the get-go. Bearing a cross has nothing to do with uncooperative nails, unruly children, snoring spouses, or a rattle in your BMW. Denying ourselves and taking up a cross is a choice that we make. It is not something that is forced upon us. It has to do with discipline and hard work. It has to do with unselfishness and committing ourselves to be the best that we can be. It has to do with forgetting ourselves and concentrating on the needs of others. It has to do with a commitment to excellence in all things. In short, in these few words, Jesus has summed up all of the most helpful advice in all of the self-help books ever written. For you see, people who succeed in almost anything in life do so because they deny themselves. Folks, you don't get to be the best in anything by staying in your comfort zone. You don't. You do it by working till you sweat blood. How many of you have been watching the Olympics? Yeah, a lot of this, a lot of us have been watching the Olympics past two weeks. You think those Olympic athletes uh, that you've been enjoying these last couple of weeks? You think they just suddenly woke up a couple of weeks ago and said, "You know, I think I'll I'll uh, compete in the Olympics next week." You think they did that? No, they've been working their rear ends off to get where they are today. And that's true for any venture in life. You, you, you sit at your computer or your designing board or your blueprints or your lesson plans or whatever it is long after everybody else has gone, gone home. And, and that's what it means in a secular sense to deny yourself. And it works. Some of you baseball fans remember Cal Ripken Jr. Ripken entered the history books when he played a record 2,632 baseball games in a row without a break. That's a major feat, folks. That's more than 500 more games than Lou Gehrig, who came in second at 2,130. And the third place person, I didn't even recognize his name, he was more than 1,300 games behind. You see, most players miss a game every once in a while because they're injured or because they just need a night off. They need a rest. 
And it's not that Cal Ripken Jr. didn't get injured any more than the other players. And it's not that his body didn't need as much rest as the other players. It's just that Ripken earned national respect because he played in spite of his injuries. In spite of his exhaustion. He once said, I want to be remembered as an Iron Man, a player who went out there and put it on the line every day. And he did. I've been amazed watching these Olympic athletes. One alpine skier is competing less than a month after he had back surgery. Can you imagine that? A freestyle snowboarder is competing with a broken hand. Something happened the other night while I was watching the Olympics. One of the, the snowboarders, uh, a few nights ago, he, he, he got about halfway down the slope and then he stopped and he went off and just kind of, uh, kind of blew that, that jump off or that, that run off. And he got down to the bottom. And he, obviously something had happened. He got down to the bottom and the cameraman asked him if he was okay. He said, yeah, I just knocked my shoulder out of joint. <laughs> And 15 minutes later, he was making another run, including flips and twists and all this crazy stuff 40 feet off the ground. And who can forget the Summer Olympics in Atlanta in 1996 when gymnast Kerry Strug landed a vault and heard something crack in her ankle. What had happened is that when she landed, the bone had moved forward in her ankle and she severed the medial and the lateral ligaments. But her competition was not over. She could barely walk, but her team needed her score. And so instead of quitting, she took another run at that vault, scored a 9.712, and held her pose on one foot for the judges. And it was just enough to allow the U.S. team to beat the Russians for the gold medal. Folks, that's denying yourself. And that's true in any field of endeavor. Dr. French Anderson is known as the father of gene therapy, and he's been talking about gene therapy since he was in college. It was a radical idea when he first thought about it. He says that when he was a senior at Harvard, he was attending a graduate seminar of doctors and graduate students, and, and there was a, a session on protein hemoglobin. At, and at the time, he was doing some um, research work, putting genes from one bacterium into another one, changing the, the properties of, of the bacterium there. And, and so he asked a question in the seminar. He said, why can't you do that to a human being? He said, why can't, you, why can't you treat a sickle cell anemia and the, the cells there in that blood by using a gene to create a normal hemoglobin? And the response that he got was, this is a, a serious scientific meeting, son. So let's don't talk about science fiction. Well, he felt about this tall. He tried to hide in the corner as far as he could, and when the meeting was over, he tried to sneak off so nobody could see him. But there's one professor, Don, uh, Dr. John Edsel, who one of the great minds of science. He came up, he patted him on the shoulder, and he said, interesting idea. That's all he said. And that's all it took. 
And Anderson thought, if Dr. Edstall thinks this is an interesting idea, I'm going for it. And then on September the 14th, 1990, Dr. French Anderson saw the first fruits of his efforts. His four-year-old patient, Ashanti De Silva, received the first treatment using gene therapy. And that young girl had a defective gene causing her to suffer from what has been called the bubble boy syndrome. Yet she basically had no immune system. And so she could not be in a place like this where other people are carrying germs. She was quarantined from everybody. But through this amazing breakthrough, Dr. Anderson was able to give her a normal life. Today, there are many patients that have been helped through his work, and, and, and the potential that just grows day after day, and there will be thousands of patients that will be helped because of his work. But here's the thing. Dr. Anderson hasn't made these contributions to medicine through some half-hearted effort. He could have walked away when his early critics called his ideas science fiction. But he didn't do that. Because taking up the cross has to do with being so dedicated to something that you're willing to take the criticism. It has to do with being so dedicated to something that you're willing to endure the, the persecution. You're willing to devote long hours in pursuit of your higher calling. And that's what it means to deny yourself. So you see, when Christ called, uh, when Christ talked about his followers denying themselves and taking up a cross, he was talking about people who are willing to make more than just a token sacrifice. He was talking about people who are willing to give their all in following him. Part of the song that Nibby was playing just a few minutes ago talks about the, the cross and the love of Jesus that was betrayed upon that cross. And it says that that kind of love demands my soul, my life, my all. That's what it talks about. That's what it means to deny yourself and to take up a cross. And I believe that we do have people around who, who are willing to give their all. There are many who have made the ultimate sacrifice in beha- behalf of the common good. And I think one of the best examples that, that we have are the, the firefighters who, who rushed into the collapsing Twin Towers on 9-11. You remember that story. You, you, most of you were there. You saw what happened there. And, and, and they, they ran into those buildings with no regard for their own safety in order to save people who were trapped in those buildings. Now, if you know anything about firefighters, the community of firefighters, it's like a family. They are very close with one another. They lost 343 family members that day. Folk singer Tom Paxton wrote a song about it. He called The Bravest. And the first couple of verses go like this. The first plane hit the other tower right after I came in. It left a fiery, gaping hole where offices had been. 
We stood and watched in horror as we saw the first one fall. Then someone yelled, get out, get out. They're trying to kill us all. I grabbed the pictures from my desk and joined the flight for life. With every step, I called the names of my children and my wife. And then we heard them coming up from several floors below, a crowd of firefighters with their heavy gear in tow. And then Paxton sings the haunting chorus. Now every time I try to sleep, I'm haunted by the sound of firemen pounding up the stairs while we were running down. Pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? They were pounding up the stairs while we were running down. You see, there are still people today who are willing to give their all. What about Aaron Feist, that coach who died shielding students in Florida last week? What about that teacher who died ushering students to safety? What about that teacher who hid 19 students in a closet? What about that janitor that told the students to run the other way? And who can forget those six teachers who were killed on December the 14th, 2012 in Newtown, Connecticut? At Sandy Hook Elementary School. Some of those teachers literally put their bodies between the shooter and these children. In my book, they're heroes. And in every tragedy, there are people who step forward with no thought of their own safety because they understand what it means to deny themselves. In the movie that we're going to see this afternoon, you'll see how Martin Luther King Jr. and those who were with him were willing to put their bodies on the line for the sake of their their cause, for freedom. Whoever wants to be my disciple, said Jesus, must deny themselves and take up a cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the sake of the gospel, they will find it. Jesus, of course, was addressing a very special people. He was addressing those who would be his followers. In other words, you and me. He's addressing us. And what he is saying here is that nothing casual, there is nothing casual about following him. I joked a couple of weeks ago about requiring new church members walking a fire pit. And don't worry, we're not going to do that. But I do worry about that we ask so little from the average Christian these days. And I'm so happy that most of you are not average Christians. I mean, as I mentioned with our debt reduction things, you guys know what sacrifice is all about, and I'm I'm so happy for that. But, But we ask so little of many folks these days. Come to church if you feel like it. Drop a tip in the offering plate. 
serve on a committee if it doesn't interfere with your favorite hobby or your television show? Is that what it means to deny yourself? To take up a cross and follow Jesus? I don't think so. I think Jesus is asking a lot more from us. Not, not too long ago, there was a news story that um, about a young girl in Pakistan. Her name is Salima. Salima is a Christian, and she was arrested for inviting a friend to know Jesus. Her friend did become a Christian. Her friend converted to Christianity. But after that friend started following Jesus, she was killed by her own family because she converted to Christianity. And because it was Salima who shared her faith with her friend, Salima was charged with her death. Salima is now 18 years old and has been passed from court to court in the Pakistani judicial systems. She's now, uh, she's been in a hospital ward for quite a while now, and a recent report is that she's in great pain. Salima has been unable to attend court uh, because of her health problems due to being beaten and tortured by the police. She's unable to stand or walk. Her back and her hip and her ankles are full of pain. And, and all of this is because she is seeking to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And then there are so many other Christians today. Can't miss our favorite TV show. Can't afford to give more than just a pittance to the work of Christ out of the abundance that God has given to us. What's happened to us? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me, Jesus said. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel, they'll save it. Now, you'll have to evaluate your own life, as will I. And that's what the season of Lent is all about. It's about self-reflection. It's about evaluation of ourselves. It's about repentance. But as you do your reflection, let me suggest a couple of questions to consider. Are you a person who is focused on saving your own life and in the process losing it? Or are you a person who is focused on losing your life for the sake of Christ and actually saving it? Maybe it's time that we trade in our Madonna cross, which is a mere decoration for a Jesus cross. A cross of sacrifice and service. Choice is ours. Jesus summed up this entire matter like this. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world but lose their soul? Amen. Let's sing. Number 595 at the cross. And let us remember as we sing this song the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. And what that sacrifice demands of us. 
It demands my soul. It demands my life. It demands my all. Take up the cross of service and love and live your life as Christ did for you, for others. Amen.